Amen. Thank you, Brad, and our students, and our choir for leading us this morning. That was great. Today we're continuing in the book of James. <clears throat> We've been there for some time. Uh, Michael's been preaching through that, and we're going to be continuing there today. James chapter 4, we'll, be in verse, we'll start in verse 13 today. So <clears throat> if you'd like to turn there, we'll be there this morning. As you're finding your place there, uh, I'd just like to ask you the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? I mean, people used to ask us that all the time, right, as we were kids. And, and we used to answer that in many, many different ways. Many of us maybe changed that as we uh, were growing up and things changed. And uh, when I was growing up, before I surrendered to the ministry, I wanted to be a meteorologist. I know, I know. Impressive, right? I wanted to be on the Weather Channel, and most people think that's great, right? As Oklahoma people, a lot of us, we're weather people anyway, right? How many people are weather experts in the room? Yeah, I see some hands. I've got, you know, three radar apps on my phone, so I'm still a weather nerd, but I wanted to be a meteorologist, and, and when I was 13, though, I surrendered to the ministry, felt God's call in my life. But many of us, since we were young, we're, we're dreaming of the future. We're looking towards the future we're making plans, and, and today we must see that seeking the will of the Lord in our lives and in our plans deals with the deep issues of pride and control in our lives. James continues, and today we're, we're going to be reading, and he's, he's already been talking about humility before the Lord that God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. He's already been talking about that in different ways. And today, he continues that theme, those ideas, in making plans for our lives and the motivations that drive us in what we do. And he challenges those who follow Christ to examine what they do, examine their motivations, examine the plans they make. Because as Christ's followers, we must follow him first and foremost, above ourselves and any others. Our pride, however, seeks to take control away from the Lord, the one who we confess when we give our lives to Jesus. We ask him to forgive us of our sins, but we also confess him as Lord. We give ownership of our lives over to him, but our pride inside of us seeks to take that away, especially when it comes to making plans for our life, the control of our lives. So today, we're going to be looking at how James deals with that in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Let's read that together, shall we? <clears throat> James writes, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. So, today James has some difficult words for us. So, if you get upset about what's said, 
uh, I'm not trying to beat you up today, but I am trying to reflect what James is saying to us. He has some strong words for us and what motivates us. The first thing we see, and you can follow along if you'd like with your notes on the back of the, the worship guide this morning. The first thing we see is that the meaningless motivations in life come from our arrogance towards God and his will. And like I already said, James has been building on this. He's been building on the idea of humility versus pride. If you go back uh, up from where we are today, he starts in chapter 3 uh, looking at wisdom from above and how our pride and our jealousy and our selfish ambition causes us into, uh, t- to lead into these sinful behaviors. And he goes to explain those in chapter 4. And many times we learn from the Bible what's called orthodoxy, where we're trying to learn about God and about what we believe. James is writing in what's known as orthopraxy, which is, you think hear the word practice in there. He's trying to instruct Christians on, how to, on the practice of Christian living and how to follow Christ. And so he's, he's hitting the issues of humility and pride, and that, that has led up to where we are now, and he's addressing a certain group of people. He says, come now, you who say, and he's addressing the you, and he's, he's talking to these people who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a town and make a profit. He wants us to see that pride and selfishness lead to sin, sinful attitudes and sinful behavior. And he's writing to a group of Christians who might be classified today, we might talk of them as businessmen or merchants. You know, uh, back in this time in the world, there was a very divided line between those that had wealth and had some influence and those that didn't. Uh, It was just a a part of, of, of life that the Bible speaks against quite often, to be honest with you, of how merchants, businessmen would not be fair with those that worked for them. They would, they would uh, almost enslave their workers, uh, give them just as little as they could in order that they might make more of a profit and have more of a, a, just have a better life. And James is speaking to Christians who are in this position, to those who are in the business class who are merchants. For us today, many of us have jobs and, and, and have different, you know, some of us are employers, some of us are employees, but, but this can be, can apply to us in, in a broad sense for us today as all of us who make plans. But James is first talking to these folks who are not following Christ in their business practice, but claim to be Christ's followers. He's looking at their pride. And if you, if you think about it, pride has always been our issue. Pride's always been the root of sin. If you look back in Genesis chapter 3 <clears throat> to the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, with Satan, when he comes to tempt Eve, in verse 4 we see this. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, means the fruit that they were not supposed to eat of, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired, was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. 
Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they saw that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So Eve's issue wasn't the fact that this was a forbidden fruit, but she saw it and she thought, or she knew, that's going to make me like God. It's going to give me the wisdom in order for me to be in control of my life. Pride was at the root of the sin of that, that started it all. In 13, this is the root of what's going on too. They are those who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. We see that they're making plans, they're controlling their plans, they're setting out their, their path, and their goal is to make a profit. Now, today, if we were to say this, outside of the church, in the, in the business world, it's not a bad business plan, is it? To make plans, to have a goal, and to reach that. But for us as Christ followers, it's different. And it's not that, that God wants us to not have plans and to not uh, do things to provide for our family and to make a living. It, it, that, that's not what James is addressing here. As we look through it, James is trying to address the, the, the um, perspective in which we take when we make these plans. And the, the, the really the point of what James, I think, is saying in verse 13 is just that the goal of these folks is not to follow Christ, is not to please the Lord, but it's to make money. That's the goal first for them. And so the first thing we see in this first point is that we must make Christ the most important thing in our lives and adjust our lives to him. And if we think about this and how we do this today, we do this already. We, we adjust our lives to things already, don't we? If you have a monthly budget at all, even if it's in your head, you know that there are certain things you've got to pay first. And right, if you put it in a spreadsheet or if you just write it down and you put like, okay, house payment is such and such or rent is such and such. We've got car, gas, electric, water, you know, uh, food. We budget things, right? And we plan, and we plan around the most important things that we have. And when something's important, we'll put back money for it. We'll, we'll make it happen. But how many of us have the tithe at the top of our budget? Or is it at the bottom? And I think James would look at that and he would say, what's most important to you? Or how many of us are putting these extra things aside for things that really matter, which is where we're going with this? So if you think of our monthly budget, that's a good way for us to maybe put into a concrete way of looking at how we order our lives around money, around the, the, the resources that we have. But also we see that there are much more important things than that. We continue on in verse 14. James says this. You, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. The second thing that we see this morning from this passage is that the reality of the brevity of life focuses our motivations on what really matters. And this really has to do with earthly value versus or eternal value. So, when we can grasp the reality of how short our life is, then we can put our focus in the right place. When our priorities aren't right, we see that our motivations 
tend to go towards meaningless things. But when we can grasp this, that our lives are precious and short in the scope of eternity, then we begin to focus on things that have eternal value versus those that are earthly. James isn't trying to make anyone paranoid. He's not trying to make some kind of morbid point here. Because when we start to talk about this, it makes us uncomfortable, don't we? When we face our end of life on this earth, we don't like that very much. In fact, a lot of us try to run away from that, right? We try to make ourselves younger. We try to just do things that distract us from the reality of life so often. If you look at popular music today, you know, I'm a music lover, and I see what's popular. A lot of it is music that, that helps us to forget what life's really about, and we tend to look at, and we want to live in, in a, a world that doesn't really exist for us. But when we can embrace and, and come to, to just to grips with the reality that our life is so short, there's a brevity that we deal with. This helps set the stage for focusing on what really matters. Solomon knew this well. Solomon, the wise king in the Old Testament, he lived, he did it all, he had it all, and at the end of his life, he wrote Ecclesiastes as sort of a memoir of what he had learned. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 2 through 4, Solomon writes this. Sorrow is, excuse me, verse 2. It is better to go in the house of mourning than to go in the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Now, I'm not trying to embrace a morbid point either. I don't want you to walk out of here and like, I'm going to die. Like, I don't want you to feel that, you know, uh, that kind of depression, but it's, it's, it's wise to be honest with how short our lives really are. Some of us, uh, it's, it's, it's a reality that we don't embrace, and when we come face to face with it, it's very shocking, isn't it? In fact, this weekend, we were at Falls Creek. Uh, we were uh, leading worship for the state women's retreat. And Friday morning, we're getting ready to go into our first service. And there's a couple of folks that came uh, looking for someone that worked for Falls Creek. And, and you could see on their faces there was just, you know, something that happened. And if you read the news this weekend, uh, you knew that two maintenance workers at Falls Creek passed away in an accident. And they were just doing some routine work. And there was just an accident, and like that, they were gone. Very short. One of the, one of the guys I, I went to college with, he was just a few years younger than me, and, and uh, he was a great guy, but they uh, just quick. And no one would have just, it's out of nowhere. And when you come face to face with that reality, it's shocking. But the response of the Falls Creek workers was incredible, because these men... Who, who passed away, this happened in the presence of many others who were working down there and trying to rescue them. In fact, what happened is that one individual was in the situation where he passed away. It was, had to do with a gas leak, and another one went in to try and, and get him, and that's why he passed away. And then uh, 
they realized that what was going on, and, and it, they had to call in help to contain the situation. So there were several men that saw this whole scene unfold. And when asked about how to proceed, all of these workers said, we want this weekend to happen because there are women who might give their lives to the Lord. We want to keep working. We want to press on. This is what we should do. So they came, they came face to face with this point in the reality that there are some things that are meaningful in the scope of eternity. And it was incredible to see these men, because we, we saw them throughout the weekend who were working, and they just kept on moving on, and they saw that. There's so often in our lives, we waste our time and our money on things that just don't matter in the scope of eternity. We get, we get, we get caught up in things and possessions thinking, I've got to have this, we've got to live in this house, we've got to drive this car, and we've got to have these clothes, and we've got to do these things, and, and we've got to go to these locations as a family, and we've, there's all these things that we feel like we've got to have, but in the scope of eternity, what really matters? We must embrace the reality that we have a brief time on earth. These men did that. There's also another story, you may have seen this recently, there's a baseball player named Adam LaRoche, uh, he's played in the league for a while. He's a major league baseball player, and he was playing recently for the Chicago White Sox. And this guy took his son to the clubhouse every day. He wanted his son to be with him every day in the clubhouse. And eventually, the White Sox organization told him that he couldn't bring his son to work every day. Um, they, they were trying to reach a compromise with him. And he said, you know what? If I can't bring my son to work with me every day... Uh, to the clubhouse, then I'm not going to play baseball. So he walked away from a $13 million year to be with his son every day. This was a great baseball player. I even, when I was looking up information about him and the, there the stories about this uh, particular just situation with him, I found a few sports writers that were calling him an idiot because of what he did. Like, how could you do this, give up this much for your son. And you see the conflicting perspective in our world today of what really matters. So when we can embrace the reality of the brevity of life, we can focus on what really is meaningful. And the third thing we see this morning from this passage, meaningful motivations come from seeking Christ first and his purposes for our lives. This is verses 15 and 16, and we see here that in response to what James is challenging these folks, that he's asking them to not, he's not saying stop making plans, but he's saying first seek the Lord's will. Look back again in verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So James is saying, seek the Lord first, and then go forth. I was a college pastor before we moved to Chickasha, and this was something that I tried to uh, speak to our college students about so often, because college is such a crossroads in life. You're trying to figure out where you're going. You're, you're, you know, you're taking classes. You're trying to declare a major. You're trying just to figure out, I'm going to be, you know, 
in the real world soon, what am I going to do? And so often, I would try to challenge them with what James was saying here, to say, you know, don't just focus on what's my career going to be, but try to seek what is God calling me to do, and how can I minister to him through what I'm going to be. And I wasn't trying to push everybody to go be a missionary or be a minister, because we need Christians in every aspect of life. But the truth is, the perspective is not, I'm a businessman, then a Christian. It's, I'm a Christian, then a businessman. Or a Christian, and then a mother. Or a Christian, and then a nurse. Or a Christian, and then a doctor. Or a Christian, and then uh, an employee. And, or whatever it might be. If we can put the Lord first, it changes the motivations of what we're seeking. Yes, we're making a living. Yes, we're trying to provide for our family. But first, we're trying to seek the kingdom of God. And we're putting... Christ as Lord like he should be. And that's a humble thing to do. It takes humility to say, God, what are you calling me to do? Who are you calling me to be? For many of us today, we're already in a career, right? We're already in a job. We're there. We're not, we're not leaving. But what is God calling you to do through that? Michael has said before that James is often considered a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. If you look, <clears throat> excuse me, if you look in Matthew chapter 7 and what Jesus says in verses 24 through 27, we see that Jesus addresses this idea of making our plans versus God's plans. Jesus says in verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And then the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. What are we building our lives on? That's really what today is about. Are we trying to build them on our plans, on our wisdom, our control of our lives, or are we trying to give control, follow the will of the Lord? We must surrender our whole lives to the Lord, seeking what He wants for us, not just our time on Sundays, not just the times when it's convenient, but everything. <coughs> Excuse me. Everything must be the Lord first. So how does your business, your career, your lives, your family, how are you ministering to other people through what God's called you to be? The response to today is really verse 17. What does James say in verse 17? He says... So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. So sin isn't just the bad things that we do, but it's the things that we know we should do but don't. Some people call this the sin of omission. But when God calls us to something, when God gives us clear instruction, when he has a purpose for our lives and we say no, that is sin. Our response is this. 
In the very beginning of verse 17, you see the word so. So is a conjunction. In the Greek language, these conjunctions are used to draw, like, to draw the reader to certain things. In this, James is trying to make a point. He's making a conclusion. That's really from the, all, everything up to this point. He's saying, so, everything you've read leads to here. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him is sin. This is the conclusion of this thought. When we know what God is calling us to do, but we don't do it. And that's what Jesus said, too. For those that hear my words and don't do them, this is what it's like. So, my question for you is this. What is the Holy Spirit calling you to right now? Where is he calling you? Have you spent time to seek the Lord before making the plans of your life? It's uncomfortable for us to think about this, isn't it? It's uncomfortable for us to not be in control. Have you ever lost control of your vehicle? Not long ago, just, a, just about two years ago, uh, my family and I were driving back into town. Um, it was late, and it was one of those weekends when the ice was coming down, and it, it had just started coming down. The roads weren't like really slick yet, but they were starting to get slick, and it was dark. And we were coming around the curve of town that's grand, that's out here by like the, the sports fields and things like that. And I was trying to be very careful. We were going slower, but still it didn't matter. When I went into the big curve, our car just started to spin. And I had no control over what was happening. I know that in certain, you know, you're supposed to turn into your, into your uh, as you're turning and as you're, you're spinning, you're supposed to turn into that and do some certain things. But at, there was a, at a point when I just had to let, let what was going to happen, happen. And I realized that. Because if I tried to fight it, it was just going to make things worse. And it was a very, it was, it was maybe two or three seconds that that happened. Everything was fine. Uh, we did end up like going, you know, turned the wrong way. But everything was fine for us. But in that moment, uh, it's very scary to not have control. And it's scary for us to think about that in our lives. We don't like to think of like, I don't know where I'm going but we have to seek the Lord and ask him, God, where are you leading me? So today, we're gonna have a time of invitation. And my, and my prayer has been that the Holy Spirit would speak to us through this, and, and that there are people here today who are, are struggling with something that God is calling them to. They know what the right thing is. They know where God's calling them to do, but they're not doing it yet. Maybe you know that God is just calling you for the first time to give your life to Christ. And you're just not ready to let go and do that. Today, let go. Today, follow Christ. Seek him. Give your life to him. Maybe there's a career decision that you're, you're struggling with. And you're like, I just, I know that God is calling me to do this. But <clears throat> I'm scared. I'm scared of what the future might be. Maybe today it's time to come down to front and just kneel And pray over that and say, God, I surrender. There could be anything that God is calling you to in life that you're struggling with today. Respond to him. Don't wait. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you just if you would bow your heads with me and close your eyes. And we're just going to spend a moment in prayer. And then 
um, Brad and, and our worship team are going to come lead us in a hymn of invitation, and we're just going to have an opportunity for you to respond. Have a time when you can, can, can come and pray at the altar if you feel the need to. Maybe there's someone that you want to come pray with you. Maybe you need to give your life to Christ. Maybe it's time for you to finally commit and join and be a member here. Maybe God's calling you to move your membership here or, or just join the church for the first time. And we'd love to do that. But today, whatever the Holy Spirit is calling you to, as Christ's followers, to follow Christ is to say, yes, Lord. To say no, Lord, is a paradox. To say, no, you're not, you're not God. I am. So today, may we say Jesus is Lord in everything that we do. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope that it brings. God, may we trust in you. Our pride keeps us from trusting you, even though you're the one who created the heavens and the earth by the speech of your mouth. You created. You hold it all together. Jesus, you gave your life on the cross so that we could be repaired, be restored to God, and still we struggle in trusting you. Today, God, may we trust in you and have faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?